Hello and welcome to King Hero Indie Car Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Curb, I'd ask how you are, but I already know. You're COVID boy. Broadcasting here from COVID quarantine. Well, you do sound near death, Curb. Uh, well, near the end, I think. So, yeah, uh, we're doing okay. COVID for Pax Lovett, Curb? That's right. Seeing that commercial all weekend. Play, I would imagine one place you did see that commercial uh, was on the uh, longest ever Daytona 500. Many, many times. As long as it was, I find it hard to believe it was the longest ever. Can't they just make it longer? It's so good. Can't get enough. <laughs> you just can't get enough of it. So you may as well you can't get enough of it. And I look, we, we can't spend too much time on this as we do annually every year. I did watch the end and, and you know, I was texting back and forth with you, like how many beers would it take from lap 14 before I could finish drinking? Answer two. Uh, no, I wasn't trying to pound them. Uh, just a leisurely pace. The fact that guys were stopping, there was, you know, in theory, two laps left in the race, right? When they restart mm-hmm. after the, the, in the overtime, right? The fact that guys were right. stopping for fuel because they thought there was going to be another five or six of those things in a row. Just it's the sports laughable, isn't it? <clears throat> you know, the, the guy that won, I think he did run out of gas, didn't he, on this <laughs> after he took the uh, checkered flag. So I guess it was a legitimate concern. Well, but a, a lot of people were coming in and in a, any normal kind of sport racing, I guess this is my point. You know, if there's two laps left and you got two laps of fuel, you don't come in for fuel. There were guys with two laps of fuel coming in because they thought, no way it's going to end on the next one. So might as well just get fueled up. And I guess that's why I was surprised you said it was the longest one, because I've watched Daytona 500s in the past where you you did have five or six of these things, you know, before they could actually get it finished. Well, but I don't think was, you're the only one surprised by the finish, because it seemed like the announcers were stuck more flat-footed than anybody, uh, you know, in the sense that it was like, oh, you know, Kyle Kyle Bush got turned around. You could tell they were like, not Kyle Bush, but Kyle Larson. Carl Larson mm-hmm. turn around. You can tell her, like, okay, here we go again. You know, we're going to have another round. And then the race ended. I mean, just ended totally flat. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. At least they have some kind of limit on the insanity, right? If, if we take the white flag and it's still green, then then it's, you know, we're done, whether whether there's a wreck or not. So, you know, there's got to be some limit, and I'm glad they have some kind of limit. I'm surprised they might change it in the future. But um, Oh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> we don't want that that rule changes after this year. It wasn't a thrilling finish and um stenhouse is not a i don't think he gets a whole lot of fans excited probably when they said well i wonder who's the winner we got to wait for nascar to tell us and i don't know about you but i thought logano he's the winner he was in head when those cars started wrecking but apparently he wasn't ahead by the time somebody got around to pushing the yellow the button for the yellow flag it was a disastrous finish for nascar i think i can't imagine sitting there through all that to, to have that be the ending good god and I'm not, you know, I mean, you and I are purists. So I don't think we want, you know, these manufactured ending. But if the whole race is going to be manufactured like this, well, hell, they might as well just manufacture a decent ending. What I thought was interesting, actually, was that, you know, the two-lane thing fell apart, right? I mean, it was all one long stretch outstring of cars, and um, it probably detracted a little bit from the potential for a uh, exciting finish. Beyond that, it's a typical Daytona 500, and obviously it has its constituency, and they probably enjoy it. Um, but the rest of us just watch on and shake our heads. Too bad Danica wasn't doing the play-by-play with Stenhouse winning. 
I know. That would have been. <laughs> you just hear just going, damn. <laughs> <laughs> A little open mic mo- moment. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, you know, first, first him and then uh, Aaron Rodgers and his $15 million a year contract. Yeah. Isn't it just the natural end to these restrictor plate races that they're just going to keep going till there's one man left standing? And there's only one car left running around the track. You're just hanging on for dear life, I think. And you hope you hope you find yourself in a good spot late in the race. Right. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, there's guys like uh, Pastrana and stuff that were kind of in there at the end because attrition was so ridiculous. Well, Jimmy Johnson was in the top ten. I mean, and and uh, you know he's running in a extra car for a team that hasn't had a lot of success in a long time. And so, uh, but you know, like- unfortunately, one guy who was not in it that didn't have to worry about all that was our own Connor Daly, who uh, who by good fortune found himself in the race, um, and then. Did a really good job of staying out of the way every time he was lapped. (laughs) Yeah. And that's nothing on Connor. It just sounds like that team was put together at the last friggin' second. And like, Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a joke of a team, I think, but, um, he, he couldn't qualify on the first night because they're not allowed to practice or shake cars down or anything. And they rolled the car out and it blew a oil line or something right off the bat. So he couldn't run on qualifying night and he goes out on, the duel, you know, the duels night to try to qualify for the race, and this uh, car's hopping on the back end as they go around to take the green flag because there's something wrong with the settings in the back of the car. And to his credit, he did all do my best, and he took off and went after it, and and uh, was fortunate to get yellow flags when he needed them and get all of his competition knocked out. <laughs> so he made the race, but you know, he finally had a couple days to work on his car. He got to practice Friday and Saturday, and I was. Just hoping he could stay on the lead lap, right? Stick on the back of that long train and, and not let go, but he wasn't able to. He probably still ended up. I, I haven't seen the final resorts, results, but I assume he still probably ended up in the 20 somewhere. Probably. And I guess he's going to do six or seven more races with that team throughout <laughs> the year. He must be looking forward to that. He's going to do the double at Indy in August. Uh, IndyCar on Saturday and NASCAR on Sunday. Curb um, been out for a couple of weeks at least. I think it's worthwhile having a look or going back to the spring training um, results. Now I want to caution you here, Curb, that I don't, I I read like four articles that could have all been written by the same person and said the exact same thing. Sure. Conclusions of thermal. So let's try and be original here because (laughs) the, the obvious conclusions have already been written and they were written all, it seems like all four, you know, IndyCar journalists wrote the same exact article. Imagine that. Must have been somebody's turn. Given that uh, rather high bar I've set for you, comments. You know, the obvious were uh, guys like Kirkwood and Andretti seem to have a strong test. Um, you know, maybe less obvious, but the Hunkos Hollinger rookie um, didn't embarrass himself. You know, I think he's a journeyman coming into the series, kind of with a background similar to, you know, Wickens or somebody like that that got away from open wheel and, and did touring cars, but. Hopefully it's a good sign that he can hold his own. And what about you? I, I would say two things kind of stuck out to me, and, and you do, you want to be very careful to draw too many conclusions from early season testing, and especially at this in this particular venue, right? Um, right. It's a little worrying where Ray Hall was as a group, uh, with the exception of Christian Lungard on the uh, time charts, including your favorite, Mr. Harvey, right? Right. 
even though it's very early days and stuff, I, I would say maybe that would be cause for co- some concern at RLL. You could probably say the same thing about Ed Carpenter and uh, Foyt, Ed Carpenter Racing and Foyt. I just think, again, you know, you're kind of hoping like there's some ray of sunshine and didn't really see that. You know, the one thing that nobody seemed to talk about, and I don't know why, is like Marcus Erickson on the top. I mean, you know, and you and I have talked about this guy. He he doesn't get a lot of credit or respect as a top driver in the in IndyCar. And I, I'm one of those that doesn't. And yet he has this kind of sneaky way of kind of being up there sometimes, you know. And I I, I don't know what it is. I I. I, I think I know what it is and why he doesn't get the respect. We've talked about that. It's just that he's not up there on the pointy end in, in all the sessions. But, you know, it's just there he is right there at the top of the combined practice results. It's uh, mystifying. Well, I mean, like you said, he he doesn't always qualify as well as his teammates. He's certainly with the team. I mean, there's no reason there's no reason he shouldn't be taken seriously. The other thing I'd say that uh, – uh, Will Power does not appear to be resting on his laurels. He seems to, you know, still have the the bit in the teeth at this point. Um, so, you know, maybe that's a good sign for Will. You know, honestly, the whole team looked good. You know, it always, it always seems to be Newgarden and McLaughlin and then Will. They always seem to think of those guys that way. But, um, but I thought the whole Penske team seemed to have a strong weekend. You could throw a blanket over those three probably this year and, and have a good chance of Winning a race or winning the series. Um, Do you get the impression, Curb, that not an entire paddock is uh, static about the Bus Brothers? There's a lot of uh, commentary on that. I can never tell whether how good-natured it is. Um, and I've never seen the Bus Brothers, so I don't know what happens in that show. But <laughs> Me either. Can't be, can't be bothered. <laughs> Those two have just found a couple of soulmates, I think. And um, Yeah, which is and weird. They're pretty, and they're pretty tight. I don't know why that rubs the rest others in the series the wrong way, but it sounds they're like They're pretty tight until... Newgarden uh, pumps uh, McLaughlin into the into the wall at uh, St. Louis. I don't want to be in Newgarden's way when he's got his team. I want to go back to you were talking about Erickson a minute ago, um, but that Marcus Armstrong I think was very strong too. I think I think you could see four, all four uh, Ganassi cars at the sharp end and uh, on all the road courses this year. Yeah. Um, speaking of Ganassi, apparently Chip loved the Thermal Club. Did he? Um, okay. Yes. Uh, the question I have, Curve, and it's a fairly obvious one, but how, how in the hell do you have a race there? If they can um, only take 4,000 spectators, which, hey, let's face it, that gives Andy Carr a half a chance of a sellout. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, the track is very questionable as whether or not you know you could pass a lot. But forget about all that. How do you do it? How do you? How do you? Where's the? Where does all that money come from to do that race there? I'm going to give you two answers, okay? My my answer would have been, the only way it works is if you just decide I'm going to do a, a made-for-TV event and I don't worry about a crowd. Uh, and you may still get a small crowd there if you chose to, but whatever you, you know, just do it is I need a race in a certain time of year and I can do it here and package it for TV and, and it'll fill a need. That's the only way I could see doing it. But based on an interview I listened to with Mark Miles in preparation for the show, uh, that's not going to be an issue. They don't intend to race there. Uh, they do intend to return there for spring training next year. Hope to make it a bigger, a bigger deal, bring sponsors with them and that kind of thing. But but they don't expect to race there anytime in the near future. Because the money has to come from somewhere. And I can't 
see being a member there and like, oh, yeah, I'll pony up money for that, you know, for those guys to come once a year. And I don't know. It just it, it, it never made any sense to me that people keep talking about it and just it still doesn't make any sense to me. And and even as the one off television only event kind of thing, like you said, it only comes if they need a race. I, I guess I'm going to pick one place a, a, a podcast as to where I think, you know, any car should look at. But I mean, I just, you know, read about, you know, how F1's leaving France, right? Or leaving the French race. Again, another place where I'm not saying any car goes to France or anything like that, but it's just another classic example of a huge market, a huge race rabid fan market that's being ignored by F1 because they can't. They got too many things on their schedule and too many people willing to pay more money for it. Right. You know, they, they've achieved a, a level, I guess, that Mark Miles is hoping to achieve. He wants to uh, – when he answered the question about Thermal, he said, we're not going to race there. We want to we want to go to big markets and big crowds, <laughs> which, which I thought was laughable, but um, uh, just the way they've kind of treated their schedule in the past. But um, but he says, you know, we're, we're trying to up our game. We're trying to get everybody, our stakeholders, to up their game. And we're going to have pretty much the same number of races. Basically said, we want to get to the point where promoters are competing for races and um, on our schedule and, and, you know, basically up in their game to, to stay with IndyCar. Now I think IndyCar is a long way off from being able to pick and choose like that. Again, you and I are traditionalists and um, it doesn't seem right to have a formula one uh, schedule without a French Grand Prix on it, but, it's the modern world and it's the modern economics, right? The Mark Miles thing that you're, you know, just as you're repeating that, it just, just blows me away. I think my eyes rolled like four or five well, times well, during well, your well, comments. Well, it was interesting, and I got two and a half pages of notes, and I don't want to read them all to you, but um, <laughs> good. Thank and you, you don't want me to. But um, what's amazing, what's interesting to me is his level of optimism and confidence relative to the fan base <laughs> level of optimism and confidence uh, is, is striking the difference um, no there's a, a complete and total disconnect and here we are what three weeks away from the first race right, right. and crickets everywhere i just read something um uh, you know as i can't remember the exact day maybe as of friday or as of saturday they still hadn't published like what the schedule was going to be in, in saint pete like when mm-hmm. was going to be what you know um Miles can give lip service to all that, but we've been saying, you know, put up or shut up for a while. And now it seems like every fan and their brother is saying the same thing. It's like uh, they're losing the uh, the uh, the war of uh, what's the perception. word I'm looking for? Perception. Yes. Thank you, Kurt. They're losing the war of perception rapidly. And, uh, you know, just reading through the comment section and reading through like, you know, I hate to admit it, the mailbag the other day. Like I said, the disconnect between what Miles' optimism and, and what I think the average IndyCar fan out there is experiencing is two different things. And and again, I'm trying to be objective here, and I'm not trying to pile on, but you know, when you asked it last podcast, are you seeing any evidence that there's been any change in attitude there? And I, I, I kind of keep saying no. Well, I laughed uh, this afternoon during my half a day uh, in front of the TV watching the Daytona 500. And you had mentioned traveling through St. Louis recently and seeing nothing about the IndyCar race this year. But I did see a commercial from Worldwide Technology Raceway this afternoon. <laughs> it, was, it was for the NASCAR race, of course. 
I wouldn't know any more than I did before other than listen to this thing. And he's they got an unprecedented amount of uh, marketing spending this year. Penske's all behind it. It says go. And and he's excited about the new ad agency and the new advertising campaign that's coming out. And it's going to come out just prior to St. Pete. They're getting drivers involved and they're doing all these great things. And so hopefully they're just waiting for their moment and we'll all start seeing what he's what he's seeing in the next few weeks. But obviously none of us are seeing it yet. And I don't I don't believe we still have a marketing director, right? Not that he claimed he, it was it was uh, referred to and he didn't speak up and said, oh, no, we got a new one. So. Um, so, yeah, I don't know who's I don't know who's putting together this marketing campaign, but, they, they, <laughs> they got one. you know, now they've got nobody. And right. apparently the the one that they had, she was so overworked. She she couldn't do her job properly. Anyways, maybe we should just shut up and stop bitching. Well, that'll be uh, next show. Next show we we're looking forward, right? So. Okay, fair. Um, Ford uh, takes a big old dump on IndyCar again um, by uh, spending all the all the money in the world on uh, getting into Formula One. You really get the impression Ford just hates IndyCar. They hate him with a passion. Uh, well, they don't see any value in it, that's for sure. It's hard to argue the point, honestly. Right. It really is. Um, Curb. Uh, we we often credit NASCAR with uh, trying some new things and and discredit IndyCar for not. Um, you could say, okay, we're going to give IndyCar a bit of credit for doing the Thermal Club, for example. Although they did their best to keep it a secret by having no <laughs> streaming and no spectators, and you right. know, um, so you got to kind of question that. But leaving that aside, uh, by all accounts, I don't know if you caught any of it. The second Coliseum race, NASCAR race was a complete and total dud. It sounded like it went on forever. Um, but that's all I know about it. It was kind of universally panned. Um, it, it's, it's horrible racing to begin with. Yes. And then all, all the extra crap they load onto it. Um, the first year anyway, I assume they did something similar this year. Yeah. I don't think Rob Lowe could salvage that one, but apparently, uh, this thing they got going on in Chicago has, uh, a lot of vibe about it, so we'll see. But well, they're pumping it up, that's for sure. As you might have said uh, in a recent mailbag, it was described that the track itself or the race course itself is uh, leave something to be desired. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes off. That seems to be a candidate for one of those that has like a good first year or two and then quickly dies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's yeah. <clears throat> I'll take that as a no comment, Kurt. I'm biting my tongue. I wonder. But yeah, okay. No, I mean, we've, we've got experience with that kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, Baltimore, right? Or uh, Denver or San Jose. Or pick, your, pick your poison. St. Louis. Nashville. Yeah. So. Boston. Uh, Boston doesn't qualify. Houston. Yeah. Did that even, add, did that even start with a bang? Coda. Coda was just a lack of will. But anyway. Phoenix. You can say that for a lot of uh, failed IndyCar. Fontana. Yeah, watch uh, watch NASCAR next week if you want to see the the good old two-mile Fontana. Oh, well, it might be your last chance. New Orleans. NOLA. Yeah. That's pretty good. Li- Watkins Glen. It's a pretty good list right off the top of our heads. 
We could keep going. I'm sure. The but. the IndyCar cemetery must be getting full. I hope they're cremating uh, so they can save some room. New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire, Pocono. Milwaukee. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the graveyard's littered and uh, full. And so, yeah. Vancouver. It used to be a really good race. Edmonton. Cleveland. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're expanding the scope here. We're talking about, we're talking about flash. We started out talking about flashes in the pan. That don't pass, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. They're terrible. Soon to be St. Louis. Anyways, but more excited than ever about the prospects with the unlimited marking budget this year, Curb. Fun, funded by IndyCar team owners, much to their chagrin. Yeah, <laughs> we just got their leader circle money cut. But here's good news from the okay. Mark Miles interview. Uh, the video game company that was in the news so much last month uh, has been recapitalized. They expect to deliver the beta version of the IndyCar game in May. Hope to have some esports competitions throughout the summer before a final version is released in the fall um that you know now i'm biting my tongue curb are, are we gonna have any tongues left at the end of this <laughs> um lando norris uh says he will not be silenced by the fia and feels like athletes uh, should not be silenced what say you curb uh i'm gonna say good for him uh even though i don't think they always do themselves any favors by by some of their political diatribes I guess the way things are going these days i'm i'm all for everybody's freedom of speech i'm all for freedom of speech but the problem i've got with athletes you know hollywood movie stars and so forth is like it seems like when they voice their opinions that somehow it carries so much more gravitas than somebody who let's say is from a background that would be more uh, clued into how the world operates Right. I mean, if you're a if you're a Hollywood star or if you're an athlete, your perception of the world is, um, I think, dramatically skewed. This is this is just my personal opinion, Curb. I, I, I you know, I'm not saying these people should uh, not have the right to say kind of their opinions on things. But at the end of the day, uh, to give them higher weighting when they're they're living a life that's. Um, that you know there's no way they could have a, a reasonable perception of the world around them uh, it's questionable to me so I, I i kind of i'm kind of on the fia side of this it's just like hey you know we don't need that well i'm not encouraging anybody to um you know start becoming a devotee of uh Landon norris or uh, hamilton or any of these guys that want to get political but uh you know i also don't want to come down the side of telling people what they can or can't say you're welcome to ignore them and maybe advised to, but uh, but but they got a right to say what they want to say, and so be it. Okay. Anything else you wanted to throw in before we sign off? Um, I had a question that you may or may not know the answer. Um, okay. This year, IndyCar uh, is going to be racing with renewable fuels by Shell, and my question is, what's a renewable fuel? Mm. Well, that I think, uh, and I think maybe what you're getting at. I'm rather dubious of whenever I hear that. Right. Um, and 
the reason I'm dubious of that is that I always think of ethanol, for example, which is mm-hmm. a, a renewable fuel. But, you know, if you follow uh, ethanol, because, uh, you know, I'm just going to pick on ethanol here, but I think there's others. I mean, I think you could say this about hydrogen. You can even say this about wind and solar when you look at, you know, the, the resources, the energy and, you know, uh, the waste as I see it, you know, being from my business, I see tremendous waste, right? Um, like these gigantic windmills, you know, every 10 years they come down, right? Right. And and so much of that stuff is is stuff which cannot be recycled. So so much of the bulk is just stuff that can't be recycled. So anyways, but that's all considered quote-unquote renewable. Ethanol is considered quote-unquote renewable because, you know, it comes from corn. But again – Tremendous inputs into the growing, you know, energy inputs into the growing import of the corn, into the transport of the uh, ethanol and so forth. So, you know, all these oil companies are trying to put, you know, their green spin on what they're doing. But you really get the feeling that it's just a bit of window dressing. Well, I mean, I assume if it was ethanol, they'd say it was ethanol. A fuel that you're burning in in any car. I'm just like, I'm curious what that means. (laughs) It's not like they can uh, empty it out of the car and and reprocess it and renew it again uh, or reuse it again. So um, I think they're talking. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's make well, Kurt, why don't you make that an assignment for you? Is it synthetic fuel? Uh, I'm assuming they're 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 talking about biofuel and ethanol. That would be my guess, Kerb. I'll be interested to have you come back and report differently. But I, I'm thinking biofuel and ethanol. All right. I will uh, take the assignment. For for the IndyCar thing, right? We're not talking about right. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. We're talking about as it relates to IndyCar. Beginning next season, Shell's new fuel for the IndyCar series will consist of a blend of second-generation ethanol derived from sugarcane waste and other biofuels. The result is a fuel that is 100% comprised of feedstocks categorized as renewable under the applicable regulatory frameworks. Yeah, right there. That's a whole mouthful right there. You should get a jail-free card right there. There it is. Yeah. Well, you've you've researched it in the time period that we were trying to shut down the uh, podcast curve, so there you go. (laughs) Well, somehow somehow it sounded like something more exciting than ethanol, but (laughs) it sounds like. Just another, I think it's ethanol. Just another name for ethanol. Okay. When they go to Iowa, it'll be uh, <laughs> there'll be protests of the corn people saying, "Hey, <laughs> you stole our idea." That's right. Um, That's right. And and then they'll go to their five hundred dollar concert seats to go watch. Uh, what's his face? Carrie Underwood, right? Carrie Underwood, and uh, I'd say almost the other guy's a bigger name, bigger draw. Can't be bigger than Carrie Underwood. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, uh, Sheeran, Ed Sheeran. He's bigger than Carrie Underwood? Uh, you know, I'm going to say maybe, I, yeah. I'm going to say yes. She, I, I bet she looks better in sequins than he does. I'm sure that's true, Curb. Well, how can we be sure about anything anymore? That's true. That's or, even true. If it, or even if it's right to comment on it. <laughs> Just go pay the money for the tickets and... I think they're we'll, both we'll fabulous. Okay. Uh, do we have any uh, sponsors? Um, just because he's been working on, so hard lately. Um, South Street Diner, Boston, Massachusetts. Mentioned this podcast to the other Saul, and he will give you a generous discount. Uh, how about a Twitter account? 
Do we still have uh, yeah. an yeah, Elon Musk Twitter account? At Hero IndyCar. At H-I-R-O IndyCar. There we go. All right. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll get back to you before St. Pete with a quick uh, race and season preview. For you gamblers. Bye. All right. Good night.